0: Good to see you guys today. I hope you're doing amazing. Welcome to Fathom Church. If this is your first time, I pray that you're just um, having an amazing experience today and you get a chance to grow, uh, not only in your relationship with God, but in a relationship with the community around you. And just, uh, we've been on this journey for the past few weeks uh, in a series called Unfolding, and we're looking at, at purpose and meaning and the will of God and kind of where we get caught in the The middle of this, and today I want to go um, just by looking at our individual purpose and this idea of of the workplace and where we live and meet. So, if you're a student, then that would be the classroom. If you're a stay-at-home mom, then that would be in the home. Because I I think we've got this weird thing in our in our heads, like somehow I don't know about you, but I, I think for a lot of folks, they often feel like somehow your calling or your purpose doesn't measure up to maybe someone you see on stage or someone that's got this kind of title, um, like a CEO or something, you don't feel like it, it measures up and somehow you're, what a stay-at-home mom is somehow less significant than a corporate CEO or, or somehow those that would uh, mow grass or, or do whatever at, at our church would somehow, their calling or their purpose would be somehow less significant than what uh, I would do on stage or someone else would do on stage. And, I mean, have you ever felt like your calling was like that? Uh, But I have a question for you, if you've kind of had trouble connecting with that meaning or ever felt like that, here's a thought, like what what if what you're doing isn't meaningful? What if it is meaningless? But here's another thought, what if who you are is meaningful and that because... Wherever you go, you bring meaning, you bring purpose, because God has woven you together in such an intricate way, and He's designed you and fashioned you for unique purposes that only you can do, and that it wouldn't, ma- it wouldn't matter necessarily what you're doing, it matter where you are and who you are, and so wherever you go, that purpose and that design and that calling comes with you, and uh, it's less about what you're doing and who you are and where you're going. Um... And so I think that would challenge us to, to just a place of purpose that every single one of us carries, uh, no matter what you do or what you put your hands to. I'm intrigued by the story of Jesus. I I thought Jesus was a carpenter, and so I started building stuff, started building tables. But I started doing some research and realized that that word that we get that from, which is from his adoptive father, Joseph, who, uh, the scriptures, you know, in our our English language says that he was, a carpenter, but really look into the Greek root of the word, and it would mean that he was a builder. So, okay, what kind of builder was he? Well, based on the context and the culture and the, the the landscape of where he lived and worked, it's very likely that he worked with stone. So he was a builder of stone. He was a stone worker, that they weren't building tables and shelves. They were like chipping away at stone, which is extremely fascinating as you begin to Think about um, what is said in in Psalm 118.22 when it's prophesied about that the Messiah would be the stone that the builders rejected, and here he was for probably 18 years from age 12 when he became a man. That's kind of the last time we hear about Joseph, until he started public ministry. We just assume, using our Sherlock skills, that Jesus was a, now understanding that he was a stone worker, and that he would become the stone that the builders rejected. And Jesus himself would quote this prophecy um, in his parable of the tenants. And Peter would quote that quote uh, before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, that he would become the the stone the builders rejected. And so that, that kind of interests me because there's this 18 years between age 12 and age 30 before his public ministry began 18 years of hard work as a stone worker. That sounds like tough work. I've never done it, but it sounds like tough work. 18 years of hard work. 18 years of praying and preparing. 18 years of a secret calling within a simple career. I think that's something that all of us in this room can identify with because you probably look at whatever you're doing is not all that meaningful or all that significant but what i'm here to tell you today is that there's something that happens in that 18 years there's something that happens in that hard work that praying and preparing and actually all along the way there is something significant taking place it's not just waiting till you get 30 looking in the future but it's right now i think paul's another one in the new testament who do we hear more from in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul, and Acts chapter 18 verse 3 tells us that he was a tent maker, that he actually had, had a job, that he made tents, and it was seemingly, again, a simple career. And, and what I would say to us today that many times we can let our profession define our purpose but I'd say let your profession facilitate your purpose and I think that's what we see from the apostle Paul that his profession just facilitated his purpose it was just it, it wasn't just um to to cut a paycheck or to get a collect a paycheck but there was purpose all along it, it was his purpose went with him wherever he uh would go and so it's just an incredible kind of picture for us today that we are employed to influence and to impact not just collect. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5 today, uh, and we're going to begin at the really early on in Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' first big sermon. It's kind of epic. Um, it's on a mountain, so they call it the Sermon on the Mount, and it's Matthew chapter 5, and he begins this, and it ends up in chapter 7. So we're going to go to verse 13, and if you've been around the church, or you, you may have heard this, even those of you that aren't, you've probably heard the reference, even if you haven't been around. So we're going to pick up at verse 13 and, and kind of dive in here. And what I want to be talking to you about today is just that God's called us to not only influence, but he's called us first to integrity. And that if we're going to have an impact in the marketplace, we've got to have integrity in the marketplace, and that will lead to influence in the marketplace. So let's begin at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are. I think many times we want to point that to someone else. There's a salt. Jesus is, is pointing to us today. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Jesus goes on, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men in that they may see your good deeds. Praise your Father. In heaven, I want to begin today by telling you a little bit about what Jesus is talking about when He talks about salt. You see, in a normal ancient mid eastern home? It was very common for them to have an outdoor earthen oven. Whirlpool has not got things going yet. Sears has not cracked open its doors for you to go and buy your oven, and so an oven would be outdoors. And just kind of picture a campfire with a big hole dug out. And what they would do is all kind of refuse went in there, and they used all livestock feces and dung would go into this pit in order to let the methane help them cook. And what they would do is they'd take salt and they'd throw it in here because, I don't know if you knew this, but, but dung doesn't burn on its own. Yeah, you, you got to put it in a paper bag. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, no... Th- it doesn't burn on its own, and so they'd use salt to help catalyze. I don't know exactly how that works. I'm not planning on trying it, but from my understanding, that's how they do it. The salt was help to catalyze and let the methane, and the gas of the, um, of the dung, burn. Earlier this year, I was um, in a community, and they had something very similar to this. You'll see the pictures on the screen, and only for about 500 bucks, they brought it to this community, and you'll you'll see where they took all the the um, you know, feces of the pigs, and they'd put it in this big hole in the methane, they would send it through these pipes, and it would go to their oven, as you see the picture there, or to their stove, and that's how they'd cook dinner. Very interesting stuff. It, uh, that's So that's what Jesus is referring to, is this idea of this earthen oven, that even in third world countries, they have something very similar to this right now, and, and how they used to even fuel and make dinner. It's a much more modernized version of that. But salt's been important for a really long time. It had extreme value, things that we don't comprehend or understand. Actually, in the Old and both the Old and New Testament, they would actually seal a covenant with salt. They'd seal a contract where you would sign your name. They would do it with salt. It was very important uh, covenants were very important to God, and we see that that's actually where we get the term salvation is that it was a new covenant. It comes from this idea of salt in a covenant that's made with it, a sealing that was taken place with it. Um, salt was not only like just everyday use. It was used for, again for like, you know, salting leafy greens, which I don't eat those um, because I'm not a rabbit, but um, I hear that people use salt on, on those still today. And so I think some of us, we know about the preserving qualities of salt, right? We know that uh, even like 1933, the Dalai Lama was buried upright in salt. Um, some of you have heard of Salzburg, Austria. That's where Mozart was born. That's where the sound of music was filmed. It's a beautiful place. And the Salzburg is actually means salt fortress because there is these things known as Salt roots and that is um, not like roots in the ground, but it was like routes. Some of you might pronounce it like that. Um, but it was a salt routes where people would. It was a part of trade, and for the Roman soldiers, even the Roman soldiers, like they got paid in salt. Like, how many of you, if like payday rolled around and your boss comes walking out with a big bag of salt, and you're like, thanks for your hard work, man. You'd be like, are you kidding me? Take your salt and shove it, dude. Give me a check, give me some money, but then it was such of high value. That's where we get the word salary comes off of the same root that we get salt, because people were paid in salt. And so we just see this all this value and this importance in life that it actually had that much value. And even Judas, even um, Judas, uh, uh, Da Vinci's Lord's Supper painting that is displayed here. Look down at the far right end. And you'll notice Judas has actually spilled salt on the table, an idea here that, that da Vinci is getting across of, of breaking the covenant. I mean, salt had become like this symbol of joy around the table as well, and he's here breaking it. And you can see everybody's looking at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean? Don't look at me, don't look at me. Um, and It's like a funny situation that's kind of happening here, but that's why you'll hear people um, in some customs where they're afraid of bad luck, if you spill salt, you'll take you know some salt and throw it over your shoulder in order to keep the bad luck or the devils away, if you will. So there's all this value and interest around the idea of salt here. And so I'd like to turn this in and talk to you about three characteristics, three quick characteristics of salt that I think God would be speaking to us about having integrity in the marketplace. If we are going to be the salt of the earth, like that means out there, not in in here, it means out there, in your workplace, wherever you're at, being sought what these three things would be. The first, I believe, is to preserve, the preserving qualities. This is the one we're probably most familiar with, the preserving qualities. I'd say things like honesty, like being a person who accepts responsibility, someone that is trustworthy in the Work environment in the marketplace. I'd say it's someone who is striving for peaceful relationships, um, who, who wants a peaceful work environment. Just earlier in this text in Matthew chapter five, Jesus does these um, all these statements about blessed are the so and so, blessed are the so and so, and here he says, blessed are the. Towards the end of, it, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. You want people to recognize and glorify your Father in heaven, as we'll look at in verse 16. But blessed are the peacemakers. And to be that, to have that pre- preserving quality where everybody else wants to stir up strife, but you're going to be the one to stand up for what's right and preserve uh, that that work environment where things would be going sour because people are just speaking negativity. And I, th- I think that you can really bring life and peace to those environments. I'd say lastly be what you expect of others aka don't be a hypocrite like don't be you undermine your influence with a lack of integrity you'll undermine your influence with a lack of integrity be what you expect of others like don't make snide like little you know rude comments when somebody walks in 15 minutes late for a solid week because they keep getting stuck in traffic, and then you drag into work um, from lunch every, like, 30 minutes every single day. Don't make little comments at them. Be what you expect of others. Don't be a hypocrite. Like, be the preserving quality. Be upright. I think it might be how some of the King James might say it or something. So the first characteristic is the preserving qualities of salt is what Jesus is calling us to be, people that are responsible and trustworthy, um, Next, I, I would say, uh, be useful. Salt was extremely useful. It was everyday value. You could put it on your leafy greens if that's what you're into. You could um, you know, use it in the fire to help dung burn. It was a catalyst, if you will. So here's what I would say. Like, bring that kind of catalyst mentality that I'm going to create a positive change here. I'm going to work hard, and people are going to notice that in me, that I'm working to make this thing go forward. Uh, Be consistent in your excellence. Be consistent in your excellence. Um, Yeah, just being trustworthy and, and working hard. You know, sometimes we can... I think we have trouble respecting people with a lack of integrity. We won't go to their business anymore. A boss that we don't believe has a high level of integrity, we won't want to work for anymore. Right? And I think, um, I think Paul says some really powerful things um, on this, um, just in Colossians 3, verses 22 through 25. And he's talking to slaves and he, he says, look, don't work t- about them. Don't, don't worry about them. Work as if you're under the Lord because the highest banner you raise is not employed at so-and-so. The highest banner you raise is, is a son, a daughter of, of God, is his child. And so that's the highest banner you raise. So you're not working to please the ones right here. You're working to please him. And that kind of changes the game. It changes who, how hard I'm going to work. It changes how How much I'm going to give, how much I'm going to sacrifice for them, because I'm not giving for them. I'm not living for them. I'm living for the Lord. And so it kind of changes the game. What Paul encourages the slaves, I I think, would encourage us at our workplace today. So be useful, like work hard, offer creative ideas to make things go forward. Be someone that they know they can count on, someone that's trustworthy and consistent. Um, Thirdly, I'd say attractive. And I use the word attractive because tasty is just a little bit weird. Again, um, they'd use it for this. It it makes food taste better. Like if if you have food at home that doesn't taste good, like throw a little extra salt on it. You'll you'll be able to enjoy it a little bit more. And here's the truth, that people are drawn or they're attracted to people of integrity. They, They can, I think they can taste the difference. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing that people begin to notice the difference in your life? Those of you that have just um, recently began following Jesus and made a decision for him. Wouldn't it be amazing for your family to look on and be like, man, I'm noticing something different to you. Or those friends that, like, man, you had to separate yourself from because they're, like, going a completely different path from you. Like, those people, like, they'd say, dude, like, I know you, we haven't hung out as much anymore, but, man, there's something different about you. Tell me what's going on. Like, wouldn't that be incredible? And I'm not talking about, like, bailing on all your friends. Um... But I think certainly we understand this. We do this in our daily life that we don't frequent certain businesses. We want to be around people um, that are attractive, and I don't mean like physically attractive. That people that attract us, people we want to be around, and I think they have this a few of these qualities. One, I'd say, be a humble encourager. That's to say, speak life. Like in the marketplace, that is a place where people are constantly talking about each other behind each other's back. Jockeying for position and bonuses and raises and um, kind of sucking up to whoever's in charge um, that day. And I think it's it's so important of us to just be a humble encourager because that's someone that people want to be around. You don't want to be around the people that are constantly running down other people because you can just think in your head like, Gosh, I wonder what they're saying about me when I'm not around. Be a humble encourager. People want to be around you because they're like, hey, if they're speaking that good about me, like they're not so focused on themselves. They're like lifting me up. They, man, it's about speaking life into those situations and being a positive um, a catalyst for change and bringing that in people's lives. They'll be comfortable, um, you'll be comfortable enough in your own skin to build others up. So if you're having trouble with pride and you just feel like you're always focused on yourself, here's your thing this week. Just start, just start trying to encourage other people. Like, just do everything you can to build others up, not to get something out of them um, or, or out of it, but just to build people up. Uh, this will be noticed in the marketplace in this doggy dog world. It's very rare. I, I think the next thing is service, like being a servant, like having a servant's heart. People are drawn to selfless people, people that are willing to serve. You want to go to the restaurants that serve you best. You're drawn to those places. You'll stop going through the drive through of the place that you have to wait forever, or they, they, they act like it's such an inconvenience for you to come through the drive through and give them your money. It's such an inconvenience, right? We hate going to those places. We want to be around the people who have those servants' hearts, uh, and God's calling us to do that. I think Mother Teresa made a name for herself, not trying to make a name for herself, but being a servant and like giving it all, like pouring it all out to be a servant. And people were attracted to her from all around the world. They wanted to go meet and be with her and serve with her because that love and that grace within, of God within her was so attractive. It drew people and immediate attention from all over the world last thing I'd say within this idea of being attractive, and I mean that not in a a physical way, but in the way our lives are attractive, is genuinely care for people. Like, people are not going to follow you. You'll never be able to have influence unless you genuinely care. It's so easy within the marketplace to just use people. Everyone's an asset. Everyone is, you know, what can I get out of them? Otherwise, like, you're dead to me. Like, I don't Need you. Like, just learn to genuinely care for people because they're humans. Like, I think that when we can begin to respect people in that manner, it it gives us an opportunity to have an attractive lifestyle that people know that we genuinely care for them. We're just not looking to get something out of them, but we're always wanting the best for them. Always wanting the best for them. So, the preserving characteristics, the useful characteristics, and these attraction, these tasty, these flavorful characteristics—I think—is what Jesus is saying to us about having integrity in the marketplace. And just transitioning to our, our next point, let me just say this: like, don't get caught up in like the fruit on the tree. Like, just get caught up. I mean, faithful. Like, faithfulness is going to produce fruitfulness. That's God's economy. Faithfulness is going to produce fruitfulness. We're always wanting to judge the fruit but like judge the faithfulness because that's what God is is looking to and that's how fruit comes. And here's the truth is that you'll never be able to influence positively if you don't have integrity. That's to say you can't be light unless you're being salt. So be salt. You are the salt of the earth. It's powerful. If it loses its saltiness like it's useless. Like if you lose your integrity No, I'm not gonna not gonna bang on you. But you become like useless in the kingdom of God. God, you have to preserve those qualities. That's how you're gonna have an influence and make an impact and have a catalyst, be a catalyst for change in the world. Let's continue to verse 14 and 15. Again, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Like just get a picture and a vision of what Jesus has said. You ever driven through the mountains? And like, there's that one house up on there. And you're like, dude, I want to know who lives in that house. I bet you that's a celebrity. I bet it's so and so. And like, you you start asking people around in the town. I know we don't know what mountains are, but it's these big. You, I guess you do know what mountains are. Um, you see that house up there? It's the city on the hill that everybody knows about. Yeah, that really cool house on the peak. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? I think this is what Jesus is imagining. Of in our communities, this, it's a beacon of light. It's, it's, a pl- it's a city on a hill here on this flat, beautiful piece of property that we've been given to worship and serve on. Like, Wouldn't it be amazing if our community knew that this was a place that we just give and we offer hope and, and, and raise people up and bring them into a place of encouragement and love of God and love for God uh, it's just an incredible thing, you know, and so let's continue this verse, and, I, and I'll talk to you more about what Jesus is saying here. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, uh, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's so incredible here. In the in first um, century kind of Mediterranean society, uh, we're used to, like, I don't know how many rooms you have in your house, but they had one room, like if they were real wealthy, like if they weren't just peasants, they they might have another room that was used to like bring livestock in. And, and it, might not, it might not be, you know, fully closed. It might be a little bit open. The house we're building um, in Cambodia right now is, it's a one room thing. I mean, their kitchen's kind of there and their living room and they find some places to sleep. And like, that's what their house looks like in those environments, even now in third world countries. And that's kind of where... We can kind of turn our attention to, to what this was like, and, and it, so it was one room, and so it was very easy to just turn on the lights, and I think for us here, it's kind of tough for us to imagine this whole idea of light, and one of the most interesting things, I think, is that Jesus calls us the light of the world, but, um, but in the Gospel of John, John says about Jesus, you're the light of the world, like... He is the light of the world, and it's so amazing that there's this. It's not one is right and one's wrong; it's that they're both right. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's shining through us uh, on this earth. That's his desire, and I think we don't really know what it is to be in the dark. I mean, we get in our car and the lights come on, and um, we we drive down the road and there's street lights. They come on at a certain time, you know. There's lights of our phones that we go to bed falling asleep to our TVs on we fall asleep to it everywhere we go there's light we can't get complete darkness that's why it's so amazing to go out to the middle of nowhere in the woods when we're just a bunch of city folk and we go out there and we finally see up and like wow there's all these stars because you're finally knowing what it's like to be in the dark and maybe we don't know what that's like physically but i i, I tell you i think we're all very familiar with what that's like spiritually I don't think there's anywhere we can go that, that we can't avoid the darkness that's in our world spiritually. Like we, we see it all the time of just some rich little white kid who's like shooting up a school or in the Middle East right now beheading children. Like we don't have to search for spiritual darkness. I think we get that. And God's called us to be light in a dark place. And maybe that's not over in the Middle East. Maybe that's not in some school across the country in in the state or another part of the state. Maybe that darkness is in your home. Maybe that darkness is in the boss you're working for. Maybe it's those people that are in the cubicles around you or sitting at the lunch table. Maybe that's where that darkness is. And God's called us to be a light in those places. Let me share three truths about light. Light. And what it means to have influence in the marketplace, wherever you're at. Three truths about light. Here's the first one. Everyone influences someone. Every single one of us can have an impact, can have an influence. I think it happens first by being salt. You can have a positive influence. There is such a thing as positive influence and negative influence. You'll be the one to decide what kind of influence you're going to have on people. And we never know who or how much... We're influencing someone. Um, and, and what I love is that the best platform that we have is, is at ground level when we're all on the same level. I think it's the best influence you can have because there is, the, there's not this dynamic of, oh, I'm leading you, I'm influencing you because of this position. I'm leading you and influencing you at this same level. I think it's such a beautiful and powerful way. Um, and we often just pour our energy out trying to influence certain people or make an impact on certain people, and we don't realize all these other people that we're impacting either positively or negatively. So you're influencing someone, and even in this day and age of of social media, for those of you that don't know what that is, there's this thing called Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I'm I'm kidding, but we're so many of us that we don't even realize the influence and the impact we have on people by Stuff we post on a daily basis, we give no thought to the influence that we're having. Like there's that one person in your feed, in your news feed, or in your Twitter role that like every single day, like they drive you nuts and you keep saying, I just want to unfollow them. And you know how to unfollow them, but you never do. And they keep having a negative influence on you because all, when they post something, you have jealousy. Or when you post something, you have anger or frustration or bitterness towards them. Like straight up, just unfollow them. Make things easier for yourself, Okay. But you're influencing someone, and they're influencing you. First thing, truth about life, everyone influences someone. Secondly, the best influence on tomorrow is the proper influence today. I think we get really excited about having an impact someday, and we start thinking down the road. But you want to know how to have the best influence then and start to have the best influence now. Stop trying to say, oh, tomorrow will be the day when I'll have this influence. I'll set this up and this will happen. And Then I'll have that job. Then I'll be driving this car. And then I'll be able to connect with that person. I'll network in this environment. Just, just start having the proper influence today. And all that stuff's going to start to work out. But you, you're going to kind of raise the level of the people that, that you're around in such an incredible way. You'll be having an influence on them today. Moms and dads, I, you know, single people that God's given you a call Um, those that that are older in the house and you've got years with you of wisdom, like your influence is not in the future, like your influence is right now. Students, you're in school, like you go back to school this week, like your influence is right now. Quit saying down the future, you could have one right now in such an incredible way. The best influence on tomorrow is a proper influence today. Finally, I'd say this. You can grow in influence. That's the third and, and final truth about life. You can grow in influence if you're going to have influence in the marketplace. I think this is best illustrated by Abraham Lincoln. We know him as president, of course, but in 1833 uh, or 1832, before he was president, um, back those, back in those days, um, they didn't really have enlistment offices uh, if someone was going to join the army many times what they would do is they'd go and gather up a bunch of friends they'd become this little battalion this a ragtag battalion of a bunch of guys who did whatever back home and Abraham Lincoln did that he was able to convince some some friends some men to come with him and just by the nature of how it was set up he just became the captain so he entered the army entered the military as a captain and they got out there and he didn't know what he was doing he had no idea he couldn't make commands in the proper way and Um, He just slowly but surely lost all influence he had. He was able to get people across the line, like join the army, but there was no sense of excellence and no sense of integrity in his work ethic and what he was able to retain and lead. Like he couldn't influence people in the military realm, which is quite shocking to know about uh, this great president that we all look to of having an incredible impact and influence on the world. But he, so by the time he exited the military, he had gone from being a captain to being a private. Like he had lost so much influence. But like, of course, the story doesn't end there. He'd go on to you know, being very successful in the political arena. And he grew from that level of influence to become president and influence and impact our nation in such a foundational way that so many heralded him as the best president we've ever had. He was able to overcome his inability to have influence. He was able to grow in that influence and learn from it. Look, if you're a Christ follower today, like I want to pound to you, like have an influence, be people of integrity, no matter where you're at. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you've been running down your own dark path and like that darkness is not in someone else, that darkness is in you, uh, I want you to just recognize and repent and like let Jesus cleanse you today. He's calling you into a real relationship that's built and and foundationally built on His grace, not on your perfection. Because your best day with your integrity is like filthy rags, is what the prophet said. It's filthy, like on our best day we even fall short. And so it's only because of Jesus that we can know salvation and you can step into that realm today. By just saying a simple yes, God, I just don't want you to be my Savior and get me, get out of hell, freak hard. But God, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to help me walk in purpose and what that means in my life. I want to walk with you. I want you to have control because you know how you fashioned me and wove me together. You know just the innermost parts of my life, God. And I know there's some of you in this room that, like, the monotony is killing you, the nine to five is destroying you, and God wants to breathe life into that environment for you, that 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 profession can facilitate your purpose. That those 18 years for Jesus of hard work, of that secret calling and that simple career, like God is fashioning us and refining us. One of the most beautiful things about the will of God is how layered it is. We think that we're in this place to provide for our family, or to make a paycheck, or to get it to the next job, and God's got so many more plans. He's refining you in the midst of that. He, he, he is wanting you to influence those around you in a positive fashion. It, it's just, it transforms our mind when we realize that we don't even know the depths of God's plans for our life, but I would just say submit to those things today. Allow Him to grow us, not only in our influence, but first in our integrity. Let me pray with us today. God, I thank you. I thank you that Jesus Christ is our perfection, God, that that you you have become our righteousness, God, and that's what we, that's the bell we ring today is the banner in the name of Jesus, God. For for any of us in the room that have just kind of got bogged down working for the man or working for the woman or or whatever job we do, God, I, I pray that somehow we would just find encouragement, and peace that, God, our highest banner that we raise is the name of Jesus, and we work for you, God. Help us in all of our striving. Do it for the glory of God, as verse 16 says. Help us to check our motives at the door, and it wouldn't be about getting a pat on the back, but it would be about the glory of our Father in heaven. God, help us. Help us to realize our significance in our work, God, that 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 work environment can be a place of worship, when we offer it to you, when we give it to you. Pray that there's purpose for each one of us on our daily basis on a daily basis, God. In Christ's name. Amen.